So today we're going to be talking about that there's a better covenant. That, that Jesus came with a purpose. A purpose to, uh, to supply a sacrifice once and for all. You see, there was covenants throughout the history of the Jewish people. And, and God would keep adding or uh, taking away and, and giving a new covenant with, with the people. And then Jesus came and that is it. Jesus' covenant is forever. The covenant that he made is, is the better covenant. It is the best covenant. So we'll be in Hebrews 8, 1 through 13, page 945 in the, the Pew Bibles. So the Old Testament covenant was replaced with this new covenant. You see, all of the religious symbols, all of them symbols and practices of the Old Testament were changed in the New Testament. That's what changed. And remember, this, this letter is written to a bunch of Hebrew people, Israelites, Hebrew people, Jewish people, that, that were going back to temple worship. They were going back to making sacrifices in the temple. So, so, they said they believed in Christ, but they, their life didn't reflect it. And you see, the lamb, the slain lamb in the Old Testament was just a symbol of Christ being slain as God's lamb, the one true lamb. So John one twenty nine says this, The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was John the Baptist seeing Jesus coming from afar and says, Look, he he hasn't even lived the life yet. he's, He's about 30 years old when this happens. He's got three, three and a half years of ministry ahead of him. But John the Baptist, because he was a prophet that was sent ahead of Jesus to proclaim Jesus, sees Jesus coming and says, Behold the Lamb of God. He saw what Jesus was. That means he sort of knew that Jesus was going to have to die. You see, all the Pharisees didn't look at it like this. All the Old Testament uh, Pharisees that, that looked at Scripture thought that Jesus was coming, or a, let's say a Messiah was coming, and he was going to sit on a throne, and he was going to rule, and they were all going to be like the number one team in the world. So they were going to rule over the rest of the world because Jesus was coming and he's going to sit on the throne right away. They didn't realize that Jesus had to come and die first. There is a time where Jesus is coming back. And that time when he comes back the next time, he is going to be sitting on the throne. But this time he came for a different job. A job that no one else could do. He came to die. Isaiah 53, 5 through 6. Says this. I turned too many pages. It's a new Bible. Shelley brought it me. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we were healed. I love the next line. 
because it doesn't give me no doubt that it's all-inclusive. Because the word they use is all, we, and in Hebrew, all means all. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus came to shoulder your sin, my sin. He went to the garden and all of that sin of yours was starting to impact him. I believe that's why, and I've said this before, that he, he sweated blood because of the amount of pressure and stress that was on him in the garden. Because it is a physical condition, I don't know the name of it, that when you are under such physical stress, you can sweat droplets of blood. And that's what he did. Because all of your sin, all of my sin, all of, get this, people that aren't even born yet sin, was being put upon him. And he was feeling the separation from his God. And he did that to bring the new covenant. Last week we we celebrated communion. And the reason we celebrate it is because we remember what Jesus has done. But why he's offering that, he says, this is the new covenant that I'm bringing to you. That you are now washed by my blood, my paraphrase. That is why we take communion today, because we remember that night, the day that he made this new covenant. See, praying through a priest in the Old Testament gave way to praying through Christ. You used to have to, in the Old Testament, we used to have to go to a priest and they would pray for you because they were connected to God. You didn't have the same connection. Only certain people in the Old Testament spoke directly to God. Okay? Then Jesus came and became, we've just talked about it, our high priest. And he... When he became our high priest, now any one of us can go to Jesus and pray. We get to go and pray to our King, to our Savior, to our God. We get that now. I think that's amazing. I think that's why prayer is so important because it's our chance to talk to God. And by the way, I think it's great that God answered all them prayers. But I also think God didn't have to do that because he's already done way too much for us. And we don't deserve it. That's how much God loves us. That he still answers our prayers. He still stands in the gap for you and me. When we don't deserve it, because here's the thing, God doesn't answer, have to answer any prayer ever. And he's still amazing, and he's still awesome, and he's still the greatest of the great. He can say no to every single thing I lift up to him. And he has still done more for me than I deserve. And that you deserve. When he went to the cross, you did not deserve that. When he made a new covenant with you, you do not deserve that. That is why it is called grace. It is a gift. 
So there's certain people in the faith that think if they pray and their prayers don't get answered, that they haven't got enough faith. That, that People will say, well, your God's not big enough. No, my God can answer any prayer he wants. But notice what I said, that he wants. Because the problem with saying that is you can pray and you can live a life where you think all your prayers are being answered and you think, wow, I'm really connecting with God. But then what happens is one day you pray, and this is a serious prayer because you want somebody to, to live a day longer or a couple of days longer. And then they don't. I've experienced that. I experienced praying for my mum 24 hours. That's all I wanted. And guess what? God said no. Does that make God evil? No. God is still in charge. God is still supreme. And God, God didn't owe that to me. I thought that at the time, by the way. I was a Christian and nearly ran away from him. Didn't stop believing that he existed because I told my wife Shelley, I said, I'm done preaching for him because if he can't do that for me, if he can't do that for me, I'm not going to do this for him. Like I'm doing anything. It's so stupid and pathetic. God didn't owe that to me. We lift up our prayers because we want God to change things. And sometimes God answers them prayers with a yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says maybe later. And by the way, that maybe later, if it's talking about healing, maybe when you die in this world and go to heaven. That might be when the healing comes. I believe everybody's going to be healed that believes in Jesus Christ. But it might not be this side of, the, of, of death. It might be the other side of death. He is a good God. So every time he answers a prayer, you should go, wow, he did that for us. He did that for me. That's amazing that our God would do that. So he's the minister of the new covenant. Verse 1 and 2 says this. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. Now, what he's doing here is switching gears. He's been talking to us for seven chapters on who Jesus is. And now he's, he wants to like put an explanation point on this, that this is why he's came. So the now is, this is what's happened. I've been telling you now. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. See, Our high priest, Jesus, is in the sanctuaries of sanctuaries. He is sitting on the throne of thrones, ruling over this world. He is a priest that's ministering to you and me and the rest of the world that wants to listen. He sits and serves in heavens. You see, do you know that's what's amazing about Jesus? Is Jesus never stopped serving. Yet how come, how come, not a dig, I just want to know the answer, but no, I'll never know. How come when we ask people to serve, they've always got an excuse? 
again, 10% of the work, 100% of the work gets done by 10% of the people in a church. That saddens me. I don't know if I can ever do anything about it. I hope that preaching and teaching and saying enough times to you that you realize that you have a God, Jesus, who is still serving you. Do you understand that? He came and served you. When I put a sign-up sheet to help stuff, that should fill up, not at just the things that I like to do, but in things I don't like to do. Things that I can help, even though I don't like to do it, we can sign up and do it. We can, we can act like a community of believers, a family of believers that work together. And grow together. We can, Jesus is our example. So if he is still serving us in heaven, in, in, in the true tent of the tabernacle, he's at the true throne. See, why this is written, by the way, that the temple was still in existence. It hadn't been destroyed yet. So this is where it's getting to. And in this text, he's, he's actually referring back to the beginning of Hebrews. When he says, Hebrews 1, 1, 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sit, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's going back to the beginning. He's saying, this is what I'm talking about. The For the last seven chapters, this is what I've been talking about. He goes on to say this. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. But Jesus was a poor carpenter. He offered up his self as the sacrifice. All the other priests, they would take a, 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 a perfect lamb, if there's ever such a thing, and a perfect whatever to sacrifice. They would, they would make purifications with animal blood. But Jesus' gift to you and to me was himself. He poured his, his blood... He made the offering. See, we read when he is arrested that he willingly goes. He doesn't try and fight it. He willingly goes. He willingly goes to the cross. I can't even imagine Jesus just laying there letting he is God. He could have called down legions from heaven. And he is allowing them to nail his hands. Well, right through his wrists, actually. Could you imagine being nailed through here? And then again through this one. And then they would cross their legs like this. And they would nail through here. That's a big spike, by the way. And he allowed them to do that for you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 4, now if we, are, if we were on earth, 
he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. See, Christ could not be an earthly priest, since the earthly priest must follow the Old Testament law. He was a heavenly priest. His law overwrote any of the Old Testament law. And when he died, he died once and for all. That is why it's a better covenant. He ministered this new covenant. See, Moses built this earthly tabernacle according to God's heavenly standards. But God lives in, and Jesus lives in the heavenly tabernacle, the heavenly throne room. Verse 6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he meditates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. The Living Bible puts that verse like this, but Christ as a minister in heaven has been rewarded with a far more important work than those who serve under the old laws because the new agreement which he passes on to us from God contains far more wonderful promises. The promise that his sacrifice is to people, to, to, the, fact, the fact that if you believe in Christ, That's all you have to do. You have to have enough faith to put your trust in Christ. I don't think that's the end of it. I think there's a cost after you do this. But but that's all you need to start the motion, the wheels turning, you know. Is that you just have to have faith that you believe that Jesus did what Jesus said he was going to do. And he did. There's historical evidence that Jesus existed. That Jesus did what he did. And verse 7 says, For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. You see, the old covenant... Like the whole of the Old Testament were designed with basically one purpose. Well, two purposes, really. Two, the two purposes point you to Christ and to show you that you could not keep the Old Covenants without Christ. The Old Testament was for that purpose. You stink at what, how you live your life. You can't follow these basic rules. I mean, we can't even keep the first commandment. Have no other gods but, but, but God himself. You can't even keep that. You're always putting something... I know this because I do it. We always tend to go through the day or through our life and we value things higher than we value God. Do you know how I know that? Because when that thing gets broke or gets took away from us, we get angry. When we lose something that we think we deserve, we get angry. Guess what that means? That's a God in your life. That is a God in your life. Again, Jesus owes you nothing. So if you have nothing, he's still Jesus. He's still God. And then we value all this stuff, that, 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 this, this material things that are just going to vanish. And we put so much value on there that we get upset when they, we feel that we had them taken away from us. 
Well, here's the problem with that. It's they're not yours. You're borrowing them. Do you know how I learned that? I was working on a job, doing carpentry, got a brand new. I did a job, and the guy's son worked for Bosch. So I got a, a Bosch miter box stand. I already had this, but he said, how do you want to be paid? And I'm like, tools? <sighs> Eyes got this big. And I'm like, yeah, I can think of some. So I said, a 12-inch miter box slide uh, with laser on it, a, a stand, a Bosch radio, because I've got to listen to tunes while I'm working, and a Bosch jigsaw. That's what he got me. I put up crown molding in his basement and hung some doors. And so I used it on his job, the, the miter box, one time. Took that saw to a job in the suburbs that you, it would be like driving down our, our, our going off a road and driving down a driveway like ours to get to this subdivision. You wouldn't know, and this subdivision was like 30 years old. There was one lot left on it. A buddy of mine had bought it and built a house. I was putting the floor down and trimming it. So I left my saw there. I got diverticulitis, ended up, couldn't go back. It was Christmas, didn't go back for a week. And when I went back, the door had been kicked in and all my tools, all of my tools were stolen. And I'm angry. And then a wise man said to me, and that was David Petty, said to me, by the way, they didn't steal it from you. They stole it from God. They're going to have to pay God for it, not you. And from that day on, that's how I look at all my stuff. That it ain't mine. They're not stealing it from me. They're stealing it from God. I was blessed, by the way. The guy I was working for, he didn't buy me a new miter box because I already had one, so he didn't need to replace that. But every tool that I needed replaced to do his job, he bought me and still paid me full price for the job I was doing. So, obviously, I didn't have everything replaced, but I got a lot of my stuff replaced that I needed to do his job. And I believe God bought them for me too and, and gave me them. And he didn't replace them all. He replaced what I needed. You see, God gives us what we need. Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on his name, the name of the Lord will be saved. And 1 John 1, 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why I'm always talking about I don't believe in cheap grace. Because I believe when you accept Christ, we confess our sins and then we keep confessing our sins to, to God. We don't live saying we're forgiven, so let's just live however we want and do whatever we want and we're still forgiven. That's not how it works. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there is a part, isn't there? And seeing as I am an idiot and I keep sinning, I have to keep confessing. And unless you're perfect, and I know you guys, so you're not, you need to do the same. We need to confess our sins to God for him to forgive them. If we understand that, it will change our lives. Charles Spurgeon says this, The new covenant is not founded on works at all. It is a covenant of pure, unmingled grace. 
Because even confessing your sins doesn't cost you anything, does it? You see, here's the thing about that. Here's the thing about... You've, if, if you believe in God, okay? How many people believe in God in this room? I think we all believe in God in this room, right? Okay. Do you believe that he's omnipotent? Okay. That means all-powerful. Okay. Do you believe he's omnipresent? That, that means he's everywhere. So if he's everywhere and he's all-powerful, do you think you're hiding anything from him? I mean, no. We, why do we have such a problem confessing to a God that already knows what we need to confess? It's like so stupid. We know. He knows what we've done. He just asks us to do our part. Again, I talked about it in prayer. Why do you tell God he's so good? Because God doesn't need to know that he's great and he's awesome and he's amazing. You tell him so you know. Why do you confess your sins to God? So you realize what your sins are. And hopefully, you're not confessing the same sins over and over and over again. But we don't do it to get into heaven. Grace is a gift. But it's really silly that we don't confess our sins. That we don't talk to God more about what we struggle with. That we just keep going through life. The ministry of the new covenant. Verse 8 says, For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The Living Bible says this, and that, that translates that verse this way. And by the way, if you didn't know, the Living Bible is, a, is just a paraphrase of the Bible, like the message. Uh, but there's some, when you can struggle, I'm not a big paraphrase person, but when you struggle with a, a, a text and putting it in your own words, sometimes looking at somebody else's view of what that scripture means is, is helpful. But we have to always remember that it's not, the text. It's not literal text. It's, it is somebody's paraphrase of the text. But God himself found fault with the old one. For he said, the day will come when I will make a new agreement with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. And verse 8 actually comes out of a quotation out of Jeremiah Uh, 31, 31 through 34, where he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make With the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. By the way, he's talking to us. He wrote the law on your heart. That's the notice the difference between this is why I have a problem with anybody who says that we're not supposed to follow the rules. When it comes to Christianity, that it that that we are supposed to follow the rules. The rules didn't die, by the way. The rules never died. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. 
Remember your sin no more. That's an amazing promise, isn't it? Because i got a bucket list of sin. Because I like... It, it, I like the example where you go, you know, when you, if you're doing a budget and you're writing stuff down, I'm not very good at budget, by the way, so don't put me in the treasurer's position. But, but when you write, this is what I owe and this is what I've paid, it's kind of like my house budget. I owe more than I paid. And the problem with, with, Forgiveness, the prob- not the problem with it, but the problem with saying, well, if I do this, I can earn. This is why God has to forgive us, by the way, and forget our sin. Because here's the problem is, because I keep sinning. I keep adding to the debt. I add faster than I do good works. The good works are less than the... the so, so, so my debt is like this when it comes to God. And my good works is like this. And this is going down fast, my debt, and this is going down slow. Because you, technically, I don't think I do any good works, personally, because I, I think the only good that I do is through the Spirit that lives in me. I don't believe that I'm capable of good works, personally. I believe that most of the stuff that I do, you do as a human being to get patted on the back. You've got an alternative motive to do your things. So it's like if you're, you give to charity, you're a big business, you give to charity, and you write an eight-foot check. Well, you didn't, if you gave $10,000, you just gave $10,000 of advertising. That's what you did. That's not, that's not donation, by the way. That is advertising. Verse 9. Not like the... Con- not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. The Lord. See, the people did not know and could not keep the old covenant. So God canceled it. Under the Old Testament law, one could not light a fire on the Sabbath, cook, feed animals, all them. You can add all of that to them. They could not keep this law. It was impossible for them. So there needed to be a new covenant. Wayne Gruden says this, We are told that Jesus continues as our high priest and advocate Before God, the Father, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So we can go to Jesus. That's that's the whole message is that Jesus sits on the throne right now as our high priest, standing in the gap for you. The meaning of the new covenant. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. See, God's law would be put in the minds and hearts of the people. God would be their God and people would be his people and, and know his commands and obey them. There's, there's, a, there's like a, a theme to this message, by the way. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, I bet if, uh, who loves Jesus? Everybody. So, so you have just admitted to loving Jesus, haven't you? Okay. You, so all of us, will keep His commandments. You all said you loved him. Verse 11. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least 
of them to the greatest. See, the people would know God. We are called to know God. And we would know him by his work. His work that he did on the cross. His work that he continues to do in your lives. God would show his mercy and forgive sin. Psalms 103, three, three, verses 3 and 12 says this. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And finally, verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So, I want you to realize, I am 100% we're saved by grace, not works. Not by good works. It's funny because God has a a way of of making these conversations. We were just talking about this kind of thing at Men's Prayer, but for yesterday, so it's weird how this happens. Is that, that, because I believe we do good works if we're Christians. Okay, we're not saved by them. And James says, you will know what he's basically saying. Paul says, you're saved by grace and grace alone, right? And then James says, you, I will know you by your works. That you're fo-. Because, here's the thing. If you're saved, the Spirit lives within you. You cannot help but do good works. So what James was saying By your good works, I will know that you're saved. Not because of them, but by them. By your good works, I will know that you're saved. We are called to do good works, but not to save us. That is why I've always said that I get to. I get to do all of this for God. I get to write a check every week. Or cash, whatever I have. I get to do that. I get to give away my money to the church. I get to buy things on the angel tree. I get to do Operation Christmas Child. I get to do these things. Not because I have to. Not because it's going to get me saved. Because I just said, I couldn't do enough good work to pay for all those crap that I've done. Because I get to. I look at it like, I, I use this in men's prayer breakfast because this is my example that I've always gone off of. I was the crappiest kid in an orphanage. Okay? Nobody wanted to adopt me because I was so bad that nobody wanted me. So I've been living in this orphanage for a long time. And then this man walks in and this man represents God to me because this is how I feel. And then... This man walks in and says, see that kid writing on the wall over there, starting stuff on fire? I want him. Can I, can I adopt him? And they come up to me and says, by the way, you've just been adopted. Here's your new father. And I'm like, whatever. So I go live with this man. And I continue to start stuff on fire. I continue to, to do stuff that's bad But he doesn't hate me for it. He still loves me. He disciplines me for it, but he loves me. And he keeps loving me, and he keeps loving me. And I'm like, why does he keep loving me? I'm setting stuff on fire. I'm getting in fights. I'm doing all this stuff. He should hate me like everybody else hates me. But he keeps loving me. And then then this thing flips in my head, and I'm like, why do I keep acting this way when he loves me? And I go, I want to change. Not because if I change, he's going to love me more. Because he already loves me, I want to change. Because he already loves me, I want to work and do stuff for him to please him now. Because I can't do anything to unplease him from me. He's going to love me no matter what. 
So now, when I do good works, what's the standard? There is no standard. If I fail, I fail. He still loves me. He still loves you. You can't do it. You can't not be loved by God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Charles Spurgeon again says this, What a Magna Carta is this. The old covenant says, keep the law and live. The new covenant is, you shall live and I will lead you to keep my law. For I will write it on your hearts. That is what he's doing when you accept him into your life. When you become his child. He writes his law upon you. So you end up, you can't help but want to please him. You can't help to want to serve him. You can't, want, you can't wait to give away what he has given you. Whether it's time, talent, or treasure, you can't. You're looking for opportunities to do this because you know, you know, if you do that, you will witness to other people and they will get what you have. Because what we have is amazing. What you've been saved from is amazing. You see, the people in the Old Testament did not have the complete Bible. I think they kind of have an excuse. They had very few portions of it too. And most of the people that could look at it were the priests. It wasn't like we could, the common people could go and look at the scriptures. Today, we have the complete Bible. We have the complete story. We also have the Holy Spirit because we were given the Holy Spirit by God when we accepted Jesus as our Savior who suffered and died and was risen and ascended. Because we have all of these blessings, we should be the best Christians that have ever lived. We have the tools. I, by, obviously, I'm a tradesperson by nature, okay? But, and I know, when you don't have the right tools to do the right job, it's hard. You struggle. You might be talented enough to get it done, but it makes your job harder. Our God is so good, He gives us the tools. He gives us the Bible. He gives us His Word. And everybody can read it. And he gives us the spirit to show us how to use it. We are blessed in this time. We need to start acting the same way. We need to start learning to live what we believe. Because we do have a high priest sitting on a throne that gives us a new covenant that says, yes, you're saved by grace. Yes, my blood covered your sins. But don't just stop there. Live the life that he's called you to live. Next week, we're going to be talking about God's better plan. Read Hebrews 9, 1 through 28 to get ready for that lesson. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being a gracious God, a loving Father that sent Jesus to live a life that we could not live, to die the death that we all deserved, 
and to give us a new covenant, a covenant that's, that's based not on our works, but based on what Christ has done for us. We can't earn your good, uh, our, our goodness from, from you. We have to be given it because we are not good people, God. And that is what the new covenant is. It's a covenant that says, I'm going to take you how you are, but I love you too much to leave you there. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.